0: Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode.
1: Here tonight, it's
0: Ian. And
1: Chris. Chris, did you ever do any debating in like high school or college or something like that? I was never in the debate class, but I think there was a time when, I think it was just like English class, where they did do some amount of debating. So there was a little bit... I think in my in my past, I, I'm
0: sure I've done it like in like some sort of history or social class yeah. or something. But I didn't join
1: the like debate team yeah. or, or anything like that. I didn't really particularly enjoy it that much, but it is something that you know people who are into that they see it as a rigorous way to defend a certain position. I think in a lot of cases in debates, you sometimes are asked to take a position that isn't even your own, right? So you're you're told. You have to defend a position that is maybe the opposite from what you believe, and you have to bone up on what the other side would say, on what somebody who's not you would argue, and argue from that position. So it's kind of like an interesting intellectual experiment, uh, from what I understand. I've watched some debates recently. There was uh, the really excellent debate that they had at the, uh, the Warehouse, which is a gathering uh, place in New Hampshire, in Weir, New Hampshire. Uh, that uh free Staters are frequently at, and there's you know gab, you know various different seminars and hangouts and movie showings or whatever it is that they're they're doing out there regularly, but they had a debate with uh our very own Jay Noon who represented fiat currency, oh boy, Jeremy Kaufman from library l b r y dot com who represented a cryptocurrency. and then uh silver Dave represented precious metals specifically silver because that's kind of his thing. And they had a debate between the three of them, like you know, which is the best form of money. It went on for two hours. It was really interesting. That video is online. I think if you look at the Free Keen Odyssey channel, you'll find it. Was it on Free Keen? No. You know what? It might actually only be on Joe's channel. Breaking the flaw. I don't remember where it is,
0: <laughs> but it. I, I saw part of it. Yeah. I don't recall either where it is though.
1: <laughs> but normally they like ask people in advance of the debate. Where they're at, they ask the audience what they believe on the topic, and then they take a count, and then at the end of the debate, they ask the audience again the same question, and they take another count, and they see how many audience members have moved in one direction or another, and that's how they determine who, quote-unquote, wins the debate. Mm. So that's my understanding of how it works. came across an interesting story uh, last night from the Free Press at the dot saying that at some high school debates, apparently debate is no longer allowed. Some judges in these debates are making their stance clear. If you don't agree with the judges positions on things, you will lose the debate. So here's the story. Uh, James Fishback is the author. He says my four years on a high school debate team in Broward County, Florida taught me to challenge ideas, question assumptions ...and think outside the box. It also helped me overcome a terrib- uh, terrible childhood stutter. And I wasn't half bad. I placed ninth my first time at the National Speech and Debate Association Nationals... ...6th at the Harvard National... ...and was runner-up at the Emory National. After college, between 2017 and 2019... ...I coached the debate team at an underprivileged high school in Miami. There I witnessed the pillars of high school debate start to crumble. Since then, the decline has continued from a competition that rewards evidence and reasoning to one that punishes students for what they say and how they say it. First, some background. Imagine a high school sophomore on the debate team. She's been given her topic about a month in advance, but she won't know who her judge is until hours before her debate round. During that time, perhaps she'll pace the halls as I did at the 2012 National Tournament in Indianapolis. She'll scroll on her phone to look up her judge's name on a website called Tabroom. That's not Taproom, it's T-A-B-R-O-O-M, Tabroom, a public database maintained by the NSDA, that's the National Speech and Debate Association. That's where judges post their quote-unquote paradigms, which explain what they look for during a debate. If a judge prefers competitors not quote-unquote spread, speak a mile a minute, then debaters will moderate their pace. If a judge emphasizes impacts, the reason why an argument matters, debaters adjust accordingly. But let's say when a high school sophomore clicks on tab room, she sees that her judge is Lila Lavender, the 2019 national debate champion, whose paradigm reads, quote, Before anything else, including being a debate judge, I am a Marxist-Leninist-Maoist. I cannot check the revolutionary proletariat science at the door when I'm judging. I will no longer evaluate and thus never vote for rightist capitalist imperialist positions/arguments. In the past few years, however, judges with paradigms tainted by politic uh, politics and ideology are becoming common. Debate judge Subham Gupta's paradigm reads, quote: If you are discussing immigrants in a round and describe the person as illegal, I will immediately stop the round, give you the loss with low speaks, meaning low speaker points, give you a stern lecture, and then talk to your coach. I will not have you making the debate space unsafe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this person is saying that words, specific words are off limits and look i don't disagree with the opinion i personally don't like calling people illegal i think it's a ridiculous uh position to take same here but that doesn't mean that if somebody said (laughs) something in a debate that i was somehow the judge of uh that you know i disagreed with shouldn't take the judges shouldn't take that stuff into factor Debate judge Kriti Sharma agrees under her list of, quote, things that will cause you to immediately lose or rather automatically lose. Number three on her list is referring to immigrants as illegal. Should a high school student automatically lose and be publicly humiliated for using a term that's not only ubiquitous in the media and politics, but also, well, according to the person writing this, accurate. I don't agree. Once students have been exposed to enough of these partisan paradigms, they internalize that point of view and adjust their arguments going forward. That's why you rarely see students present arguments in favor of capitalism, defending Israel, or challenging affirmative action. Most students choose not to fight this coercion. They see it as a necessary evil that's required to win debates and secure the accolades, scholarships, and college acceptance letters that come with the winning.
0: Yeah, you know this is very true. Even when I remember when I was in high school, it, it, I mean, it's the whole idea is like, oh, you better join some sort of club. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even matter what it is, but you better be involved in some sort of activity so that when you apply to college, they know they who like to, that, huh? yeah, who to, who to, who to pick. What club were you in? I, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> I don't even remember the name of the club, uh, but I, I did actually. I mm-hmm. was in a club for mm-hmm. you know you know for basically because that's what the that's what you know they that's what the college people advised right. you know it's like it, it's it's i think you know it's kind of interesting but i feel like it it was almost a way to kind of weed out the kids who were uh they couldn't they couldn't weed kids out based on race anymore so they weeded them out based on whether they were or not they were in a club mm-hmm. and of course all the white kids then joined a club and you know but i don't know i don't know if that was the case or not but that's what it seemed like to me So, I mean, in a way, this
1: debate restriction story here is, for the students that are participating in it, just kind of like an introduction to what they're going to likely experience in college, right? Which is teachers that have a specific political viewpoint. We hear about it all the time, uh, that want to shove their political viewpoint down the throats of all of their college students. So, from that perspective, what's happening to the debate clubs isn't really that different than what's happened at the college level itself. So, I mean... it's not too surprising i guess this is debating this is where you take a position that inherently has disagreement involved in it somebody in the in the room the person you're against is it disagreeing with you people in the audience presumably are attending the debate because they might feel one way or another on this issue and they could change their mind based on that i mean that is a uh, it seems like that meets their definition of unsafe I there's mean, ideas being thrown around here that might be disagreeable
0: i and the the humorous part is like it's like you're supposed to argue a point it's it's better when you argue a point that you disagree with right mm-hmm. like or a side that you disagree with um, that's kind of the whole point of the, the debate club, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, I, that's one reason why I don't really care
1: about debate, because like, why would I want to argue for another side? I understand like it's an intellectual rigor kind right, of thing. Right. Right.
0: Just not. Well, for it's me. it's entirely about the intellectual aspect of it. Yeah. You know. So the idea that you would like not debate it or like. Yeah, it just sounds crazy. Or, or not, or be afraid to tread
1: into a certain area. Be a, be afraid to tread into certain arguments. Be afraid to make certain points because you're worried that somebody is going to get their panties in a wad
0: about what you say. I mean, I, how would you even argue, like, for example, immigration, right? How would you argue against illegal immigration but not use the word illegal immigration or illegal? Undo- or... Undocumented worker. So, okay. So I guess you could maybe <laughs> do it. <laughs> But it just it, it does seem very bizarre. This is the
1: t- kind of tiptoeing, this politically connect or politically correct speak that has gone completely off the rails now. I mean it was bad 20 years ago, but it's even worse now. As the person who writes the story here uh, theFp.com points out, he says, I disagree. In debate, unsafe quote unquote conversations should be encouraged, even celebrated. How better for young people from all backgrounds to bridge the divides that tear us apart and to discover what unites them. The debate I knew taught me to think and learn and care about issues that affected people different from me. We've come a long way from the 2004 Democratic National Convention when an obscure state senator from Illinois named Barack Obama said, If there's a child on the south side of Chicago who can't read... That matters to me, even if it's not my child. If there's an Arab family or an Arab-American family being rounded up without the benefit of an attorney or due process, that threatens my civil liberties. It's that fundamental belief, I am my brother's keeper, I am my sister's keeper, that makes this country work. It's what allows us to pursue our individual dreams, yet still come together as a single American family. 20 years ago, the NSDA I knew encouraged me to think and speak about how policies and issues impacted different communities, But not anymore. One judge gives people of color priority in her debates. In general, students voluntarily and mutually disclose their evidence to the opponents or their opponents before the debate round, as both teams benefit from spending more time with the other team's evidence. But ex Braithwaite, who's judged 169 debate rounds with 340 students, has in her own disclosure policy in her paradigm, which uses a racial epithet, one, here's what it says, quote, N-words, which it's you know, written out, don't have to disclose to you to disclose to N-words. This is racial discrimination, of course. If you're black, you get to keep your evidence to yourself and have a competitive advantage. If you're not black, you must disclose all of your evidence to your opponent and accept a competitive disadvantage. I mean, how does this even fly? How do people like this stay in this organization? I mean, I guess that's just a testament to how completely backwards and corrupt that this particular organization has become. He says, during my time as a coach, I saw many students lose interest and quit. They'd had enough of being told what they could and couldn't say. A black student that I coached was told by a debate judge that he would have won his round if he hadn't condemned Black Lives Matter. This is a black student who was told this. In 2019, I gave up on the NSDA and formed a new debate league. He calls it Incubate Debate, their website IncubateDebate.org. To judge debates, we recruit elected officials, members of the armed forces, business executives, faith-based leaders, and others. At the 18 no-cost tournaments we've hosted this year, thousands of students have come together to debate, have fun, and learn from each other. And good for him. I think that is a good solution here right rather than trying competition to, right rather than trying to change the old organization this old broken this 100 almost 100 year old now 98 year old organization from the inside like oh well we got to get elected to the board and then we got to change the paradigms from the inside no he just went ahead and did the right thing which is to create his own competing organization and i don't know you know if they're perfectly principled I haven't taken you know I haven't looked at it in any kind of detail but it's it's another alternative it's another option for people to decide to join and I think that's the, that's the right way to do it you build the alternatives rather than trying to take down uh, the existing status quo he says finally think back to that high school sophomore who's nervously pacing before an NSDA debate before she enters her round she reads her judge's paradigm and says to herself, I'm going to lose. Her loss won't be because her argument lacked evidence or support. Her argument simply doesn't conform to her judge's ideology. Imagine her disappointment and hopelessness. Imagine her weeks of research and rehearsal. She never had a shot. Now, of course, there are some people in the liberty movement who are, you know, they make a similar argument of we need to build the alternatives. And I don't disagree with that. Um, However, the difference, of course, in what we're doing here in New Hampshire and with this national debate organization is the national debating organization is a voluntary association, right? So you don't have to be associated with it. You're not forced to fund their system. You can simply step away from it. You can join this other guy's thing. You can form your own uh, system if you want to, your own debating club, and do it the way you want. So there's not coercion involved like there is, of course, with the state. And so, as much as I like the idea of, you know, uh, what do they call uh, it? right? A- agorism sort of working outside of the system to create an alternative economy. And I think that's all great. I really do. And I support it as much as I possibly can, right? So, I mean, we bought some meat from Jay Noon here. It's in the house, it's delicious. I didn't have to go through any sort of government uh, process or whatever. And there's a lot of this community here in New Hampshire where people are buying and selling things from other people within the community. There is this sort of agorism going on. You know, that's that's likely not being reported to governments in any way, <laughs> yeah, shape, or form. Right? That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I do support that. And I think it is important. But unfortunately, we still have to change the system. And I wish we didn't. I wish that we could just ignore it and have it just go away. But unfortunately, they will not be ignored. These people, these psychopaths who want to rule over your life. They have men with guns. They have cages. They've got vans. They've got handcuffs. They've got all the things they need. They've got bombs that they will use to enforce their beliefs on you. And they will drop them on you,
0: an American even.
1: They have. And yep. they, they've they done it in the past. Caller, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Chris. Go ahead.
0: My name's Robin.
1: Robin, you're on the air. What's on your mind?
2: So I was listening. I'm sorry I haven't been listening tonight because y'all don't broadcast live. We're in my area. I was oh, listening okay. to a podcast the other day, um, and you, you guys were talking about Kratom yeah. um, and There was some discussion about methadone and Suboxone and Subutex, and I happen to be a prescriber of those substances. Oh, all right. Um, I work in a rehab facility um, treating opioid addiction, Um, and I just wanted to correct a few things. The first thing I wanted to say is I don't want people that have an addiction to opioids to be afraid to get on methadone, Suboxone, and Subutex. they are much safer than what's out there, especially since what's out there now isn't even heroin. It's actually fentanyl cut with sugar alcohol. There's there's hmm. not any heroin out there, really? um, at least uh, at least in my area. Yeah, okay. everybody's testing and, positive for just fentanyl.
1: Wow, and where um, are you calling so from?
2: South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, and so there's no way for them. They'll say they're using a gram a day or something like that, hmm. but they're trusting math of these folks cutting the fentanyl into the sugar alcohol so frankly legalization i'd prefer to deal with heroin and and pills than fentanyl. <laughs> but um the thing about kratom is that i have seen people get addicted to kratom mm-hmm. um and have a harder time coming off it they've tried to use it to come off of heroin or fentanyl as the case may be and they tend to escalate the doses and keep using more and more and more. Whereas I have seen multiple times success with people coming off of opiates using buprenorphine, which is subutex and suboxone, and methadone. They're a lot longer acting than kratom. They're definitely Mm -hmm. a lot longer acting than fentanyl and heroin. Um, Because they're so long acting, you would have to taper down slowly, and it takes a while. But I have had multiple patients be successful with coming off of them slowly and they weren't able to get off of the shorter acting opioids anyway it was just
1: driving so let me just make sure i (laughs) understood what you're saying there robin you're saying in your experience as somebody who is involved in this you know side of helping people with breaking these Mm -hmm. addictions you've seen people try kratom and they haven't had Mm -hmm. as much success to use kratom to break a harder opiate addiction as you've seen people with uh using suboxone for instance to break yes. heroin
2: addiction, and, and I, I, what they end up doing is trying to break the the heroin or fentanyl mm-hmm. addiction, and they end up addicted to the kratom. They end up there. There was talk on the podcast the other night about somebody who was using crazy amounts of kratom. Mm-hmm. Just like any other drug, I think there's there's you know certain people that can use drugs without becoming addicted. Certain right. people who I, I honestly think have a pre- genetic predisposition to become addicted. And unfortunately, I don't think you know who that. If that's you, until it bites you. Yeah. Um, but so I'm. I'm not. You know. I'm not for like making stuff illegal. None of my patients have come in looking for recovery because it's illegal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, making stuff illegal doesn't solve the problem. But I just at the education part. I I, I I have more faith, I guess, because I deal with them every day in buprenorphine. And methadone as ways to get off of opiates and kratom, even though kratom is natural and all that kind of stuff. Now, do you, I presume you've got to get natural. a
1: doctor's prescription to get the, uh, the Suboxone, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I'm i a nurse practitioner, so I write prescriptions. You can do and, that.
1: And, now, oh, what kind yeah. of cost are we talking about? I mean, would the kratom be a cheaper option for somebody that doesn't want to go to the doctor and. You know, go it to a probably pharmacy.
2: Depends on how much. Probably depends on how much you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, my my guess is that the cost would probably be a trade-off if you're a heavy user. Um, mm-hmm. There is things like GoodRx that you can use for the prescription drug program. If you have insurance, a lot of times insurance will cover some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, if you're a heavy user. Ugh, if you're a heavy user of, like, fentanyl here, when the cost is, it's cheaper to do buprenorphine and methadone. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kratom, I'm not as aware of what the prices are, but, but my guess would be it's probably a few hundred dollars a month to be on methadone or Suboxone or Subutex. And my guess would be a heavy user would probably be spending a few hundred dollars a month. Um, someone could probably call
1: in and correct me on
2: that if Did, I'm wrong. Have you seen
1: any <laughs> success stories with Kratom?
2: I personally haven't, but then you have mm-hmm. to keep in mind I'm not looking for them per right. se. When people right. come in to see me, they're 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 in trouble, they, and right, it they're out.
1: already you know it hasn't
0: worked. Whatever they've tried hasn't worked. Right. They're coming to right. see. I got yeah. a question for you. Yeah. What's what is the amount of time that it takes to get off of these drugs?
2: Um, usually, I recommend that you stay on methadone or buprenorphine for six to twelve months, and wow. get six to twelve months of what I would call good healthy habits and sobriety behind you mm-hmm. before you try and get off them and then take another probably 6-12 to 12 months to get off it. Wow. So it's a long process. Serious stuff. But usually yeah. by the time people come in to see me, they've got years behind them.
1: There's a story you've been wanting to share uh, over the past couple of weeks, we just haven't had a chance to get to it, and that is out of uh, Europe, Sweden, apparently. A yep. Swedish VPN, which I know uh, they've been raided, we'll talk about that, but I know that when I hear about Sweden, I think Aren't they one of the more privacy friendly countries? Aren't they like you know like uh, if you're if you're a VPN user don't they say oh you should use a Swedish VPN or a Swedish exit
0: point because they might be um I think Iceland is the one you're probably thinking of hmm. cuz i thought um, there's there's
1: certain european countries iceland that, maybe switzerland maybe it was switzerland i always get those two confused yeah
0: I, i'm not so sure about sweden okay. as much okay. but i mean it might be one of them but yeah I'm, maybe it was switzerland
1: there's certain countries yeah. in europe that are sort of known for having the best privacy protections as far as you know if you're uh, if you download some movie from the pirate bay the Switzerland or the swiss government isn't going to come after you or, or whatever they don't care essentially I, this is not legal advice <laughs> obviously i don't remember which countries uh they are but
0: sweden might have been one in there um at do some your own point research too um there may have also been rulings that have come out that you know this is the thing um often you know countries are good until they're not Mm, Meaning and you never know when that's right, going to change, they, right? You know, the entertainment industry goes and brings a lawsuit or something along those lines, and then all of a sudden they're not so good anymore because they've they've uh, gotten themselves a ruling that you know undermines privacy or and security basically for everyone. Unfortunately. So what happened? So in this case, this is a super interesting story, and by the way, this is coming from the Verge. Okay. Um, it's it's involving a VPN uh, provider called MOVAD, and they're they're actually a pretty popular VPN provider too. Um, and basically, uh, the police tried to raid its offices, but couldn't find any user data. And this is important mm. because this is what you want when it comes from a, to, VPN. From a VPN provider. Because there's
1: some of them that claim they don't log your data,
0: but how do you really know right. what they're doing? And the thing is, it's often the case that VPN providers are lying about these things. And the reason, in part, it's or they're telling myths, they're half truths, right? So there's something called a session log. It's essential for like providing VPN services. And all it is is while you're connected to the VPN, obviously they know who you are, right? So if, say, so you, you have know, an account. Yeah, presumably. you have an
1: account, right? Um, yeah, they know what your IP address is.
0: Well, so you have usually when we're talking about VPN providers in this type of scenario, we're talking about a shared IP. So the question is, are they logging what websites that particular account is going to? Mm-hmm. That's the question. And, if and you they're basically not, have to trust them. Right. If they're When they say no logging, they're not doing that. But they're talking about writing an actual log file to like a hard disk or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. All right. But session logs aren't that. They're just in memory temporarily while you're connected to the VPN. If, you, if say, for example, uh, Molvad was raided while you were connecting to the Molvad VPN, mm-hmm. well, they could throw in, they could take a look, they could bring up a log on the screen, the session log, and they could see that you're connected to some... You they could see what's happening in the right, moment. Right. In the moment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It's that's why I say it's a little bit of a half truth when that when, when companies say VPN providers say they're not logging. Sort of, it's true. Um, but obviously for the internet to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you gotta know where a person's going right. so you can get them there, right? Yep. So um but what this does say tell me is that uh they're not permanent they're not making any permanent logs. Unlike many other VPN services, Molvad doesn't require an email address to sign up. And instead of instead, it generates a random account number for huh. all users. Wow, that is unusual. Um yeah, I mean how useful that is, um, you know, it's it, it's sort of somewhat debatable, but um certainly not having an email address or a phone number or other you know, information tied to your yeah, that's to an account, anon- is definitely the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of different ways that you can do this, and if they're not the only provider like this. So their viewpoint
1: is that, look, uh, we don't need to know your email address for verification purposes because you're going to have to pay for the service, so as long as you can pay for the service, we don't care if you have an email on file, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. There's also other ways to sort of deal with the problem like for example not store not keeping databases of account information alongside the the billing information. Mm, okay. Um so if you separate the two. Mm. So unless until somebody gives you the information for their their account, you can't renew the like both pieces of information you can't renew the subscription. I see. Uh, Mulved only. Uh, Mulved says this is the first time in its 14 years of wow. operating a VPN that police have issued a search warrant. And company CEO Jan Johnson tells The Verge he doesn't know exactly what they were looking for. Huh. Interesting. Even if I, I wonder, I wonder if uh, the Swedish authorities even knew what they were looking for. Uh, doesn't sound because like it. It's, On behalf of the German authorities, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you think they would, they must, but who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. They don't even know. Yeah. Even if the authorities had seized its servers, Johnson says that police wouldn't have found anything due to its strict policies against keeping data. In a statement to The Verge, Christian... Good for them, by the way, and there's another good reason
1: to do this beyond just... Trying to help your customers protect their privacy. Another good reason is if you don't have the data, you can't turn it over, and that means that whatever stupid requests that the government's going to make, you know, they're going to issue subpoenas to you saying, "Give us all the blah blah." Sorry, I don't have anything to give you. Yep, so that's a that's a time saver, right? Because yep. otherwise, if you have the data, then you got to have an employee. Go on the task of digging up the information, printing it out, and then sending it. All whatever stupid nonsense you have to do to jump through those hoops. If you don't have the data, you just like psst, quick, quick little letter. Sorry, we don't have that. Have a nice day. Time saved, money it, it, saved. It
0: really is. Um, and you know what's interesting is that there was um, there was a data regulation act actually at one point in Europe, and I think it got overturned, if I recall. Um, and basically that required providers like VPN providers and ISPs to log your traffic um, so kind of interesting hmm. note because um, that's no longer the case uh, Christian a spokesman for the Sweden's National Operations Department says that members of the Swedish Cybercrime Center operating under the Swedish Police Authority executed the search warrant in response to a European investigation order concerning a serious cyber crime so hmm. It doesn't say Germany here, but I think it was Germany that was on behalf of, uh, declined to comment any further, citing uh, local legislation and the fact that this isn't a Swedish investigation. We filed in peculiar. We find it peculiar that the National Operations Department of the Swedish police make this search warrant visit now for the first time in our 14 year history. Johnson tells The Verge they should know by now how our service works yeah and you know what's interesting is that yeah, you would think that in sometime in the last
1: 14 years that a letter would have been sent to them requesting information and they would have declined it
0: because they don't have the well, information it, they know, would have learned that it's it's kind of a bigger thing like this is the th- this is the thing with governments law enforcement and uh you know judges lawyers is that They assume that the internet works a certain way, and their their understanding of how the internet works is actually flawed Mm. because they think like an IP address is a person, right? And it's not a person. It's not even a household. An IP address is just it's 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 a means of routing data. Mm -hmm. And in many countries, as I pointed out earlier, you might have a whole country behind a single IP address. Crazy. So you know this this assumption that they make in many cases when it comes to you know issuing warrants and things of that nature.
1: If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit Patreon.com slash CRBlake86 for those details. That's Patreon.com slash CRBlake86. Thank you. Alu Axelman is on the line with us here from LibertyBlock.com. Hello, Alu.
3: Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm listening to the show from last night with you and Jay, which is always fantastic, and Jay made some good points about credit cards versus cash. I yeah. obviously agree that cash allows for more freedom, privacy, uh, anonymity and uh, independence. Um, you mentioned that with credit cards, the big banks or whoever supplies the credit cards uh, finds value in it because they can harvest that data. I don't know exactly how oh, the yeah. they get, but I'll tell you one creepy story that I discovered started happening three, four or five years ago. Hmm. I I paid with a credit card at some random store. I think I was in Carolina visiting my brother, a store I've never been to, and I got an email receipt. And I remember thinking, "Wow, that's a little disturbing. How is my email connected to my credit
1: card?" So you didn't give um, the store your email address, but no. they emailed you a receipt.
3: Nope, exactly. And it wasn't like just an email like from Chase. It was like an email like from whatever North Carolina Bagels. Like, Whoa! You know, over the- and remember- you
1: had never been to this store before. No, no. Okay.
0: So that- let me speculate here I, I bet what they did was there's a database where they're logging a hash of the credit card number uh, and then they're assigning that an email address and then another store may not even be the same chain mm. is using they're tied into the same hashing database. that credit card number looking up the hash and a- pulling the email address to be able to send you an email even though you wow. didn't provide
1: it uh oh we lost we lost that sentence there Alu. can you say that again
3: Sorry, sorry. Yeah, the other thing is during the January 6th Fed intervention, mm-hmm. Bank of America uh, volunteered. They weren't even after.
1: Oh, unfortunately, you're in a pretty bad uh, cell. There, you're saying something about Bank of America regarding January 6th. One more, one more shot.
3: Yeah, Bank of America voluntarily gave a lot of the data to the Feds around the, the January. Oh yeah, of course For they any, did. Any customer who was. Uh, buying anything from a gun store or was in the D.C. area within wow. that entire time frame they gave to the feds so that they could target them.
1: Without a warrant. You're just saying they just said, oh, yeah. we're going to help you. They voluntarily gave it mm-hmm. up.
0: Uh, this is exactly why uh, people should be using things like cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. uh, because they give you an opportunity to put to put a distance between you know yourself and potentially other malicious actors that want to use your information against you.
1: Like the banks yep. and governments. Yep. Yeah great point disturbing story alu anything else you want to share
3: yeah I, I spoke to aaron day today and he's running for president he's a great free-stater great longtime liberty activist and yeah. he's writing a book it's coming out very soon i believe it's called countdown it's going to be all about all of this stuff and how we can avoid mass tyranny um and he focuses a lot on cbdc's crypto privacy real money ending the fed bank runs so that book's going to be fantastic so I want you to pick it up once that comes out.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know Aaron reached out to me as well, and I think he's going to send a PDF over so we can check it out and then have him on to talk about it. So look forward to Great. that.
3: And in other news, um, we just hit publish on two of my audiobooks, all both recorded by two different voluntarists, cool. narrators, um, Articles of Secession: A Blueprint for Liberty. Um, so that'll be three audiobooks finally up online.
1: Excellent. And people can go to learn more about those at libertyblock.com.
3: Yes, sir, and
1: autoaxel and Amazon. You know, was Sweden one of these privacy-protecting countries? That was what was in my head. You said maybe it was Switzerland, and maybe it is also Switzerland, but according to uh, another competing— I, I
0: think Iceland is, is one of the big ones, if I recall. Could Switzerland be. might be, too, but I'm not sure. The, Switzerland is definitely, or was in the past, when it came to secret bank accounts. and, and yeah, so they changed that, though. Yeah, that's not so much the case anymore, but yeah. I'm not sure about the, the privacy as far as the— the data but i think they also may be that too so now this just to be be clear this
1: article is a little old it's from 2016 so what has changed in the last several years i don't know but at the very least this does give you the impression uh that sweden is a fairly privacy centric place compared to other governments in the world this is actually coming from another vpn competitors website which is expressvpn which is not an advertiser. Just I was just you know, looking for information about Swedish privacy and this is what came up. It says, Sweden has a long history of privacy laws. As early as 1973, it became the first country in the world to enact a comprehensive statute that protects the privacy of personal data on computers. Sweden's commitment to privacy is so enshrined that when the EU passed a 2006 data retention directive. Yep, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> the Swedish government decided not to play ball. The directive required EU states to ensure that all national internet service providers retain logs of their customers for their purposes of, quote-unquote, investigation and prosecution. This data was required to be kept for a minimum of six months, and the mass harvesting was to begin no later than September 15, 2007. Fast forward to 2010, and after three years of feet dragging, Sweden was taken to court by the European Commission because they had yet to implement the directive. The European Commission sought a fine for every day that Sweden had not had the law in place. Obviously, the court action was a kick up the backside, and the Swedish government has towed the line ever since. Just kidding, says uh, the author here. Of course they haven't. It would take a further two years of Sweden clinging to Lady Liberty, screaming, don't want to, not gonna, before anything changed. The requirement was finally put into place in 2012. But not before Sweden was forced to pay a hefty three million euro Oof. fine to the
0: European Commission. Uh, you know, this just is a good reason to point out why you don't want to be part of a union, or the, like maybe be at the United right. States or part of the European Union. Being part of these unions, they come with strings attached. Oh yeah, big and this time. is the same reason why people were so up tight about the masks. Or taking money from the U.S. federal government in New Hampshire over the masks because they had strings attached.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Good reason to secede peacefully from whatever these organizations are. The lengthy delay was caused by arguments over how best to balance privacy laws and the desire to combat crime. Uh, balance there's no
0: balance you've just eliminated privacy if you're requiring them to log however
1: the dance didn't end there in 2014 the court of justice of the european union invalidated the data retention directive Ah, so i was right the court found it seriously interfered with human rights so pretty much as soon as the ruling was announced banhoff which is one of sweden's leading isps started destroying all the data they were obligated to hold Banhoff CEO uh, John Karlung also said that Banhoff would stop retaining new data immediately. Of course. So
0: you know what I'm wondering though is, so when they have these directives in Europe, mm-hmm. it, it's the states that are obligated to that implement them into law, into local law. I would right. think that just because the Swedish Swedish or I'm sorry, the European Union directive was overturned at the European level, the law would still exist in Sweden. That day. I don't know how all that works. I don't either, but I would think. That the law would still exist until the Swedish government, you know, threw it out. It
1: doesn't sound like uh, the ISP in this case gave a damn about that because they said here they just immediately started deleting the data.
0: Right. And which is what makes me wonder uh, what the story is, if if, if that is, in fact, the case, because that's what I would think would be the case.
1: Dave Ridley is on the line uh, from RidleyReport.com. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, you caught me with my pants down. I have oh, no.
4: uh, I was trying to I was trying to pull up an article
1: uh
4: and uh, I thought I had Luckily I it's
1: radio, had... so if we catch you with your pants down, it doesn't <laughs> offend anybody. Well, a
4: uh, different kind of pants down. I, I I was I thought I had this article on my computer and I don't have it. I was going to talk talk to you about what was on this article. But have you seen the NH Journal article about uh, NH exits um uh aerial banner
1: Yes actually I actually just pulled it up as you called in cuz I figured that's <laughs> what you wanted to talk about When when was
0: this when did this get posted because uh,
1: I, it came out yesterday
0: Oh I I hadn't seen it yet
1: I hadn't seen it until um today after I spoke with the uh the guy who wrote the author Damian Fisher and he had already gone to press before he talked to me so the article had said that Freeman couldn't be reached for comment it has now been updated with uh, with my comments, which I hadn't even know I didn't know that had happened yet. So I, I'm just now seeing this sort of the, the newer version of it for the first time. It's a bit of a slanted story, of course as it is. <laughs> Damian Fisher is uh, is wont to do, but. Uh, the headline, for instance, is "Convicted Bitcoin Money Launderer oh Now my God. Wants Now Now Wants New Hampshire to secede.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the the whole the whole NH exit thing has been going on like a decade. Okay. It's NH- just exit. ramped up in recent yeah. years. Yeah. Just
1: it happened to coincide with the and the Fed. If anything, us.
0: people responded to you know what happened with the crypto six thing. It, it, it's the result of a lot of people supporting NH exit now but it has nothing to do with yeah like yeah the term NH exit <laughs> I mean didn't really take off for the
1: last couple of year until the last couple of years the foundation for new hampshire independence of course has been around for more than a decade at right. this point and i have been advocating for them for a very very long time i've been i've handed out thousands of their flyers personally over the last decade uh so to say that it that only now <laughs> right? that i've been convicted uh that i want to secede from the united states ridiculous but dave uh, what
0: well, were you nh exit was started long before you were convicted anyway
1: yeah i think dave you've been uh repping nh exit for some time right yeah i guess it goes back to
4: 2016 it's just a, it's an off you know it's a sort of a child of brexit in a sense
1: right yeah so what were uh, your comments on this uh this story well, well, it was just the, the headline
4: itself is so interesting. You know, he's, he's so, this reporter is just so eager to, hmm, how can I push this just as far as I can <laughs> without making a full-blown libelous, complete factual error? How can I make a factual error that's just implied, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. you know, when, when he says that, you know, he, uh, you just now, it's like he makes, it, he's implying that you just now support independence. Because of the fact that you were targeted, right? That's what it. That's what the the headline is meant to
0: imply, right? Without well, and, quite. And Ridley, you're the one who got it off the ground. You're the one who started it. You're the one who instigated it. Not you.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, Dave is interviewed in the piece, so Dave okay. gets uh, gets a couple of comments. Uh, Dave said, uh, "Washington is the reason we can't have nice things." He's quoted as saying in the story. And he does. Uh, he did quote you as saying, "Dave, at that uh, quote, in part, in part, this is a reaction to federal raids on New Hampshire's Bitcoin businesses." So maybe yeah, I
4: mean, the whole idea with independence is it's supposed to be like a, a gas
1: tank, and whenever the federal government
4: does something, you turn that into a gallon of gasoline and you put it in your gas tank, right? Uh, and over time, in theory, they start not handing you that. They stop. They stop doing things like that that help fill the gas tank. Does that make sense? Mm.
1: He did update the story here to say Freeman said Friday the plane has nothing to do with his convictions and is not sure what Ridley is talking about.
0: <laughs> that doesn't See, sound like a direct is, quote, was it?
1: <laughs> What's that? The other thing that
4: he likes to that he likes to do is kind of make it look like we're all internally fighting. <laughs> Yeah. But, but no, I think it's, well, it's obviously connected in the sense you're, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is you're, you know, you're taking advantage of these last, you know, few weeks or months of freedom and spending some money on, you know, just kind of going out with a blaze that related and this, this, so the conviction is very closely related to the, to the, um, uh, to the aerial banner in my mind, but correct me. If no, I'm
1: wrong. I, I think it just is coincidental, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole new New Hampshire exit thing happened to really take off after the Crypto Six raid. It was 2021 when Crypto Six raids happened uh, against us. For listeners that don't know, you can go to the Crypto 6com You can watch the raid video and learn more about the what they uh, they did to us. But it was that summer uh, that you had called the show, Dave, to uh, talk about you know what can we do to move this thing forward. And then Aria and I said, well, you know, we can. Put up some money to help you move this thing forward, and then we found some state reps that wanted to put forward a bill to allow people to vote on you know, independence. I mean,
0: you know, you know, I've been involved. Things just in fell this. into place, you know. I, I've been involved in this too from from the beginning, and you know, the way I'm looking at it, not not the decade, but I mean, like, uh, you know, you know, the last five years. Yeah, but um, the um. If you look at like the progression of things, I think you can attribute the support going from zero reps willing to support New Hampshire independence to 13 to the FBI raids involving the crypto six. But that had nothing to do with you supporting, you know, uh, independence because you supported independence long before that. Sarah, you're on free talk live in New Mexico. Go ahead.
5: Okay, so I'm on. I I got an interesting topic for you. So. A woman is suing the Motel Six here in Albuquerque in Carlisle because she was being raped and human trafficked at the hotel. Oh boy! And none of the, and then how about this? About none of the employees helped her at all. How
1: would the employees have known? Was it like obvious? Like, what, did did this happen
0: That's in it, the hallway? I mean, I,
5: no, I think they they assaulted her in the um, the front lobby or something mm-hmm. to force her or something like that. And then she asked for help. All mm. the people that worked there, she asked for help.
0: And what were they supposed to do?
5: Well, mind their own business so they, they don't get messed up by the human traffickers. That's what they did. Mm. So, I mean. So, so she's I mean, suing that... the
1: hotel or she's suing the employees individually? She's
5: <laughs> suing. Filling the hotel because
1: they got money, right? That's what she wants. She wants I, the money.
5: Well, you know, she feels like they're um, responsible for um, that. They should have helped, and but I, I,
0: did I, they I, call nine one one? Did somebody call nine one one?
1: Nobody did.
0: Nobody really? Did. What happened to her?
1: How did she end up getting uh, escape from the grasp mm-hmm. of the traffickers?
5: Well, you know something. I do not. I don't have the full detail. And I, I was thinking, if she's that out of it, if she's strung out on drugs, I mean, if she's got traffic, how is she able to sue? I, I it, it, it takes intelligence to sue somebody. I mean, well, I presume she's I
1: mean, she's off the drugs and she's out of their their grasp, and that's why she's suing now.
5: Well, I was thinking that Dream Center, maybe, or well, she found an attorney.
1: Yeah, she could have found an attorney who has the intelligence and the, the time to you know bring the lawsuit i suspect that's part of what's uh what's going on here now i mean the question is does a hotel staff have an obligation to protect the people who are at the hotel and and we don't know all the details in regards to Mm. what did she say exactly to these hotel staff members I mean, because if you were to say please help i'm being you know murdered here or raped or or kidnapped or whatever it is that's going on and someone does nothing, I mean, maybe there is an argument that they should do something. Are they legally
0: obligated to do something? And you know the other aspect of this is, like, it, did the hotel, like, have a policy on it? And it, if they didn't, it, is this something that's, like, how is, the, how is it the hotel's fault because an employee of the hotel did do something? didn't do something? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean
5: well, the managers or something like that. But if this is pretty much like state of New Mexico, that like human trafficking is so horrible. And the thing is that nobody wants to get involved.
1: Major Payne is on the line in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Major.
6: Yeah, I'm thinking about Sarah's call and these kids that were uh, running the lobby at the Ramada Inn or whatever it was there. I mean, you think about the younger generation, What's the first thing that happens when there's any kind of controversy? They pull out their cell phones. right?
1: Mm-hmm. They
6: don't even want to have a conversation. They talk with their thumbs. right? You think they're ready to go over there and have a fist fight with these guys? Ain't going to mm-hmm. happen.
1: Well, I mean, the it's I think the people that would be advocating, you're referring to the story in Albuquerque about a Motel 6 where a woman alleges the hotel staff did nothing to help her. Uh, Including they didn't call the police when she allegedly, according to the story, allegedly made eye contact with one of the hotel clerks and mouthed the words, help me, and nothing was done. She's now bringing a lawsuit against the hotel because they didn't do anything, so... Uh, I mean, Major, I mean, let me just play devil's advocate here. I mean, shouldn't the hotel clerk have gone ahead and called the police? I mean, that doesn't mean he has to go over there and attack the alleged human traffickers and, and break them away from this woman. But couldn't couldn't the person just have called the cops and let them deal Absolutely. with
6: it? Absolutely. She called 911.
0: Well, hold on, hold on. What does she mean by, you know, dragged away, first of all, and mouths? Because the 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 person working there might not have understood what she mouthed, because what does that usually mean? Without audio, right? So if you're yeah. just looking at I can't read people's I mouths. Can't read I can't lips. read what I'm what terrible lips, right? at it. Yeah. And, and then, of course, being dragged, is was somebody just pulling her on the arm? The claim I mean, is that doesn't was, necessarily mean to somebody who's watching that she's being uh, forced yeah. against her will. Yeah, that's true. We don't know what I it means. i
1: You can recognize terror in
6: a person's face now. Come on.
0: Not everybody. Some people can. Some people can't. Well, the claim
1: is she was, quote, physically dragged by her trafficker from the reception office to a room located near the back of Motel 6 in clear view of Motel 6 employees and agents so yeah, that that is a good question. What does it mean? She was physically dragged. Were Where's her legs, the video? Were her legs on the ground? Right. Uh, it's
0: one thing if somebody is physically being dragged, right? And it's yeah. another, like an adult, you know, woman. And if she's just, oh, somebody's pulling, pulling her, you know, or taking her by her hand, and you know, yeah,
1: that's a good question. That's a good question, Major. Uh, so you're saying that. You think they could have done something here in this case. Uh, you- I think
6: I think they should have done something. Somebody should have done something. If Bruce Willis was behind that
0: desk, he'd <laughs> be dead.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Uh, and apparently the interesting detail on this story that uh, Sarah didn't have was this particular hotel. It's not the first time uh, there was a different woman, 20-year-old Albuquerque woman, Toby Lynn Stanfill, was uh, sued the very same hotel in 2020, alleging negligence on the part of uh, the hotel. She was repeatedly beaten, raped, and enslaved at the Motel 6 days before her death. Sorry, it wasn't her that sued, it was her family. The lawsuit alleges she was found dead lying face down in a pool of blood at a public park with a gunshot wound to the head. The leader of the sex trafficking ring was sentenced to 17 years in prison after pleading guilty to one count of participating in a sex trafficking ring. And Matthew Woods, uh, described as his enforcer, is serving an 18-year federal sentence. In that case, apparently the hotel paid out uh, and settled that particular case, according to a different story here. So this particular hotel is allegedly, according to the Department of Homeland Security sort of a known hotel for human traffickers. So this is... Uh,
6: hotel 6 doesn't have a good reputation. I was only brave enough to stay at one once. But I found crack flake remnants around. Yeah. You know, the, the TV was bolted down. The, the furniture was bolted down. The only thing that wasn't bolted down was the Gideon Bible in the drawer next to the bed. There.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk to Tim. He's in Florida. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Tim.
6: I was a night out. Owl- I was a night auditor at a hotel um, and a different night. Maybe I'll tell you how I lost that job because it is related and it was kind of my dream job and I was the only employee there. But actually I called because uh, kind of uh, just before I lost my job uh, during the Trump administration, there was some sort of, I don't know if it was an executive action or if it was actually passed through the legislature, uh, something passed regarding... Uh, human trafficking, which included the hotel's responsibility that if they were aware that prostitution is taking place on their premises uh, that they must um, notify the police immediately, otherwise mm. they'll actually be implicated uh, basically as
1: providing this is in Florida uh, uh, it's actually federal
0: federal yeah, I think I remember yeah. when this happened when they passed this law and I thought it was it was dangerous.
6: Yeah, wow. the, the,
0: yeah, that's
1: crazy.
6: Um, basically, uh, basically, you know, if, if you knew that it was happening at your hotel and you didn't say anything. How would you know? Then, then you would actually be considered to be one of the, not like one of the human What is considered so what, to be like knowledge, though?
1: I mean, this would have been at best a suspicion, at least according and, to the case that and, we're and talking again, about here.
0: I think the other issue here is, uh, you know. Even if you have a policy on this, what happens if the employee doesn't, you know, abide by your policy that requires them to report it? Are you still liable, or are you not liable because you had a policy right. on it? Well,
6: they let me go, um, and and it wasn't exactly the same situation. Um,
1: I, I don't even want to get into it. But- okay, but what what does it mean to have knowledge? Of this the situation, right? Like, if somebody explicitly tells you something, then I guess right. you have knowledge. But in this case, well, you just—I
6: would say a reasonable, you know, what, what would be considered a reasonable suspicion, like, um, you know, for example, you, it's a bunch of things. You know, you can't just profile someone and be sure because you yeah, have people dress up like that anymore. It's you mm-hmm. know, not just a prostitute that dresses up like that, but you know, you take all the facts about the situation, you know, who they're with, you know, what they're talking about. Like you, you hear a lot of conversations in the front lobby, and um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, she, probably she has some some legal grounds to sue mm-hmm. the hotel, whether whether it's right or wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean it does sound like they they've got a case simply because it already happened previously. There was somebody else who had a similar circumstance, and their family sued, and they got they got a settlement from uh, from the hotel owner.